Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. From the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library here in Sultry, Savannah, this is Obscure Season 3, Wuthering Heights. I am your host, your friend, your ear lover, your literary mansplainer-in-chief and Georgianologist Michael Ian Black. Just another gorgeous spring day here in Savannah, Georgia. We had company this past weekend, the brother-in-law. Came to visit Martha's brother, Tom, paid us a visit from, oh, I have to sneeze. You know, it's allergy season, <coughs> allergy season here in sultry Savannah. Although I will say that the, uh, the, uh, the tempest of pollen hasn't been nearly as terrible here for me as it is up in the east when I would be getting the sneezes a couple months hence. Let's see if that happens or not. Meaning, whether we, let's see if the allergy season for me continues into the later part of the spring and into the early summer, or if this new flora down south affects me differently than it does up north. Anyway, we had we had visitor, a visitor, brother-in-law came from uh, oh Minnesota, you know Minnesota, and uh, spent the weekend. I was away for most of it, but I did get to see him a little bit. Nice to see the brother-in-law. They had a good time. One of the fun things about living in a city after so long is that when people come to visit, there's stuff to do. Like when we were living in the wilds of Connecticut and people would come to visit, well, there was just not much to do. You'd say, well, you, you want to go to the creamery? We, they, make, they make their own ice cream there. Well, you got to go to the creamery. And then you'd bundle up and head on out to the creamery and get some ice cream. And when you were done with that, you'd say, now what? Well, we can just hang out at home. Because there just wasn't anything to do. But here... You know, there's all kinds of stuff. The Savannah Music Festival's going on right now, and Martha took Tom to go see some New Orleans jazz band, and, uh, you know, there's always good food and good drink and people watching to do, and so, you know, it's nice. It's nice to have folks here. 
Uh, bought some pants. That's an, another big doing over the past week. Bought a bunch of pants. Went to the outlet mall. Bought a bought a bunch because I I uh, I needed new pants. None of my pants were fitting right, so I got four new pairs of pants out there, out there at the J Crew Outlet Mall. Oh, it wasn't the J Crew Outlet Mall. It was an outlet mall. And they had a J Crew there. I got three pair there and one pair at Lucky. And uh, so there's nothing there's nothing better than when you got new pants and you get to cycle through them. Over the course of a week, you know, let me try on this pair of pants. I'll wear this pair of pants today and the next new pair of pants tomorrow and the, and the, and the new pair after that, you know, inexpensive, inexpensive pants. That's what you want. Pants that, you know, you spend maybe 40, 50, $60 on and wear them a few times. And if they get mustard stains on them, as they will, you don't get too upset about it. Also a couple pair of sneakers. You know, I've just been, just been going nuts at the outlet mall getting myself gussied up. You got to, you know, you want to, you want to look your best when the, uh, when the sun comes out and the seasons change and the thoughts of young men turn to love. Or it might just be that, you know, you get pollen in your brain and then you're like, oh, I need new pants because the pollen scrambles up your brain. I don't know, but it's been pleasant is what I'm saying. Everything's been pleasant enough I uh, spent the weekend in Springfield, Missouri, and I don't know if I have any listeners in Springfield, Missouri, but uh, I can't say there's a lot about Springfield, Missouri that recommends itself to others. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it, but having been there, it's hard for me to go, oh, you got to check out Springfield, Missouri, because you don't, because you really don't. It's a town there in Missouri. And uh, it's probably like a lot of towns out there in the Midwest, you know, it's probably built up in the mid part of the 19th century up through the mid part of the 20th century. And it's fine, but it just doesn't seem to have a whole lot going on as far as I could tell. Certainly not much of a, uh, of a food scene because the fella that was taking me around said, hey, what do you like to eat? And I said, well, I've been trying to eat healthy. So uh, maybe it's like some Mediterranean. And uh, he just had a he just had a real blank look on his face because there wasn't going to be any Mediterranean there in Springfield, Missouri. Fair enough. You know, it's a landlocked city. They're not on any sea, let alone the Mediterranean. So I did not begrudge him that, nor the good residents of Springfield, Missouri did not begrudge them a damn thing. Performed at the Blue Room Comedy Club for pleasant enough shows with pleasant enough people. But as I say, it's good to get back here to this perfect spring day to pick up Wuthering Heights yet again. It's always exciting when you start a new chapter. You know, we concluded chapter eight last time, and there was all kinds of violence and mayhem and chaos and turmoil and tumult, and it was terrific. That's what I like to see. The shaking of babies, the slapping of, of uh, boyfriends, all, all just terribleness. And then uh, to top it all off, Hindley comes home drunk, and he, and, uh, you know, Mrs. Dean feels obligated to hide the gun because that's what he likes to wave around the gun when he gets a little sauced. So let us pick it up here. Chapter 9, Wuthering Heights. He entered, and this is Mr. Hindley arriving home. He entered, vociferating oaths dreadful to hear, and caught me in the act of stowing his son away in the kitchen cupboard. I mean, terrific. 
terrific way to start a chapter with Mrs. Dean stowing a baby away in a kitchen cupboard. That's the kind of thing I like to read. You know, there's, there's promised violence, there's drunkenness, there's a gun, and there's a baby getting hidden in a cupboard. You know, because Catherine is liable to shake the baby till its head falls off, as we established last time. And uh, who knows what Hindley's going to do with the baby. And so Mrs. Dean's like, well, I better just hide it away in a cupboard. Hareton was impressed with a wholesome terror of encountering either his wild beast's fondness or his madman, madman's rage. For in one, he ran a chance of being squeezed and kissed to death, and in the other, of being flung into the fire or dashed against the wall, and the poor thing remained perfectly quiet wherever I chose to put him. Smart. There, I've found it out at last, cried Hindley, pulling me back by the skin of my neck like a dog. By heaven and hell, you've sworn between you to murder that child. And remember, this is Hindley's child, you know. I know how it is now, that he's always out of my way, but with the help of Satan I shall make you swallow the carving knife, Nelly. You needn't laugh. For I've just crammed Kenneth, head down most, and the black horse Marsh. And two is the same as one, and I want to kill some of you. I shall have no rest till I do. So wait, is he just saying he killed Kenneth? You needn't laugh, for I've just crammed Kenneth, head downmost, and the black horse Marsh. And two is the same as one. And I want to kill some of you. I shall have no rest till I do. What the hell is happening here? Why is Hindley so upset when he comes? Well, okay, we understand he's drunk, but did he really just kill somebody? Did he really just kill Kenneth? Poor Kenneth. Who's Kenneth, by the way? I feel like we've heard of Kenneth before. Maybe the doctor? I don't know who Kenneth is, but uh, apparently he's dead now. But I don't like the carving knife, Mr. Hindley, I answered. It has been cutting red herrings. I'd rather be shot, if you please. You'd rather been Mrs. Dean, you know. Being a little bit of a smart aleck here, which I don't mind at all. You'd rather be damned, he said, and so you shall. No law in England can hinder a man from keeping his house decent, and mine's abominable. Open your mouth. He held the knife in his hand and pushed its point between my teeth. But for my part, I was never much afraid of his vagaries. I spat out and affirmed it tasted detestably. I would not take it on any account. Oh, said he, releasing me, I see that hideous little villain is not Herodon. I beg your pardon now. If it be, he deserves flaying alive for not running to welcome me and for screaming as if I were a goblin. Unnatural cub, come hither. I'll teach thee to impose on a good-hearted, deluded father. Now, don't you think the lad would be handsomer cropped? It makes a dog fiercer, and I love something fierce. Get me a scissors, something fierce and trim. Besides, its infernal affectation, devilish conceited is to cherish our ears. <laughs> he's saying he's going to cut. He's going to cut Hareton's ears. You know, like a dog. He's going to. He's going to crop them. And you know, he's saying, oh, you know. We're so conceited about our ears. It's, a, it's an internal affectation. We're asses enough without him. Hush, child, hush. Well, then it is, my darling. Wish dry thy tears. There's a joy. Kiss me. What? It won't kiss me, Hareton. Damn thee, kiss me. I got as if I would rear such a monster. As sure as I'm living, I'll break the brat's neck. So Hindley is just in his cups. Just terrible, swinging back and forth. Come here, Hareton, I love you. Ah, God damn it, I'm going to... I'm going to clip your ears. Get over here. I'm going to stab you to death. I love you. You know? Just a drunken, sodden mess. 
Poor Hareton was squalling and kicking in his father's arms with all his might and redoubled his yells when he carried him upstairs and lifted him over the banister. I cried out that he would frighten the child into fits and ran to rescue him. As I reached them, I gotta sneeze again. I mean... You know, it's funny, I haven't sneezed all day until I started recording. I wonder if there's something uh, psychosomatic there, you know? Something about turning on the microphone and being vulnerable with all of you guys that makes me want to sneeze. Good heavens. Woo! I cried out that he would frighten the child into fits and ran to rescue him. As I reached them, Hindley leant forward on the rails to listen to a noise below almost forgetting what he had in his hand. So you see, he's, he's pulling like a Michael Jackson. You remember when Michael Jackson was dangling his baby blanket? I think it was blanket or whatever the fucking kid's name was, over the railing at the hotel when the kid was born. That's what Hindley's doing. And, you know, then as now, we tend to look down on such behavior. Who is that, he asked, hearing someone approaching the stairs foot. I leaned forward also for the purpose of signing to Heathcliff, whose step I recognized, not to come further. And at the instant when my eye quitted Hareton, he gave a sudden spring, delivered himself from the careless grasp that held him, and fell. What? (laughs) The baby fell. There was scarcely time to experience a thrill of horror before we saw that the little wretch was safe. Heathcliff arrived underneath just at the critical moment. By a natural impulse, he arrested his descent, and setting him on his feet, looked up to discover the author of the accident. A miser who has parted with a lucky lottery ticket for five shillings and finds next day he has lost in the bargain five thousand pounds could not show a blanker countenance than he did on beholding the figure of Mr. Earnshaw above. It expressed, plainer than words could do, the intensest anguish at having made himself the instrument of thwarting his own revenge. What? What? So wait. Heathcliff is upset that he caught the kid because if he had let him fall to his death, his revenge on Hindley Earnshaw would have been complete? Is that what she is saying here? I mean, these are some shitty people, if that is the case. You know, maybe, maybe, and I don't know, because I, you know, I've been speculating a little bit here, but one of the things that has confounded me about this book from its very beginning is what the hell is it about? I understand that there's a story taking place and there's plot, right? But what the hell is this book about? Well, if we have terrible... Hareton Earnshaw, and terrible Kathy Earnshaw, and terrible Heathcliff, and terrible Edgar Linton, maybe it's a little bit like the melodramatic version of Seinfeld, where it's just one horrible person after another doing horrible things and rarely getting their comeuppance. Is that what this is? Is that all this is? Is this, in effect... A book about nothing? The emptiness? The vagaries of life? Could it be? I don't know. But I mean, are, are none of them redemptive characters? Again, we're still early in the book. We'll find out. So, it expressed plainer than words could do. That, you know, he's, he 
almost made himself the instrument, well, he did make himself the instrument of thwarting his own revenge. Had it been dark, I dare say he would have tried to remedy the mistake by smashing Hareton's skull on the steps. But, I mean, fuck. <laughs> I mean, it's, I'll be honest, it's getting a little darker than I had expected, okay? I don't mind it, but it, it's, it's just a shade darker than maybe I was thinking it was going to be. But we witnessed his salvation, and I was presently below with my precious charge pressed to my heart. Hindley descended more leisurely, sobered and abashed. It's your fault, Ellen, he said. You should have kept him out of sight. You should have taken him from me. Is he injured anywhere? Injured, I cried angrily. If he's not killed, he'll be an idiot. Oh, I wonder his mother does not rise from her grave to see how you use him. You're worse than a heathen, treating your own flesh and blood in that manner. He attempted to touch the child, who, on finding himself with me, sobbed off his terror directly. At the first finger his father laid on him, however, he shrieked again, louder than before, and struggled as if he would go into convulsions. Yes, yes, I can imagine. You shall not meddle with him, I continued. He hates you. They all hate you. That's the truth. A happy family you have, and a pretty state you're come to. I shall come to a prettier yet, Nelly, laughed the misguided man, recovering his hardness. At present, convey yourself and him away. And hark you, Heathcliff, clear you too, quite from my reach and hearing. I wouldn't murder you tonight, unless perhaps I set the house on fire, but that's as my fancy goes. Right. <laughs> so, you know, no thanks to Heathcliff for saving my son, I will just give you some respite. Uh, I'm not going to murder you tonight, like I murdered Kenneth. But if I decide to set the house on fire, well, so be it. Do we really understand? I mean, do we understand anything about what's going on here, really, with Hindley? Do we understand any of this? Because I don't. I understand he's in mourning for his wife. Okay, he cared for the wife. We get that, you know, and then the wife died. And, and perhaps he blames Kenneth. And now Kenneth apparently is dead. Uh, at his hand, but geez, huh. so uh, I'll set the house on fire, but that's as my fancy goes. While saying this, he took a pint bottle of brandy from the dresser and poured some into a tumbler. Nay, don't, I entreated. Mr. Hinley, do take warning. Have mercy on this unfortunate boy if you care nothing for yourself. Anyone will do better for him than I shall, he answered. Have mercy on your own soul, I said, endeavoring to snatch the glass from his hand. Not I. On the contrary, I shall have great pleasure in sending it to perdition to punish its maker, exclaimed the blasphemer. Here's to its hearty damnation. He drank the spirits and impatiently bade us go, terminating his command with a sequel of horrid imprecations too bad to repeat or remember. It's a pity he cannot kill himself with drink, observed Heathcliff. Well, you can, muttering an echo of curses back when the door was shut. He's doing his very utmost, but his constitution defies him. Mr. Kenneth says he would wager his mare that he'll outlive any man on this side Gimmerton and go to the grave a hoary sinner, unless some happy chance out of the common course befall him. I went into the kitchen 
and sat down. Oh, we, we haven't taken a break. I mean, here we are. Just I'm just I'm just going along, mumbling along, tumbling along, rumbling along, and yet we haven't taken a break. Well, let's take a belated break. You know, things have settled down for the moment. Let's just uh, collect ourselves. You know, inhale, exhale, pour ourselves a little brandy, but just a little, friends, because we don't want to end up like Hindley Earnshaw. And we'll be back in a moment here on Obscure. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Back on Obscure. Hopefully we're all either a little bit drunker or a little bit more sober, you know? Whatever's going to even things out for everybody here because, it, you know, the place is a mess on Wuthering Heights. Everything's just... A wreck. Here's a question. Why does Heathcliff even stay at Wuthering Heights? I understand it's the only home he's known, but it's a miserable place. Sure, you know, and and, and, and he's not kin, right, to these people. Why does he stay? Why didn't he run off and go back to wherever he was found there on the streets by uh, the previous head of the household, the previous Earnshaw. Why, why, why does he stay there? Is it just for the sake of Catherine? Perhaps. That could be reason enough, you know, because let's face it, he does love her, even though the more we get to know her, the less reason there seems to be to love her. I mean, she is a violent maniac. She is a psychopath. But, you know, we've all loved psychopaths in our time, have we not? So Heathcliff is just gotten done saying, I wish drink would kill him. I wish anything would kill him. But Kenneth says that he's going to live forever unless something unnatural should befall him. Now, maybe that's foreshadowing. I don't know. I went into the kitchen and sat down to lull my little lamb to sleep. Heathcliff, as I thought, walked through to the barn. It turned out afterwards that he only got as far as the other side, the settle. The, he only got as far as the other side, the settle. I guess it should be of the settle. When he flung himself on a bench by the wall, removed from the fire, and remained silent. I was rocking Hareton on my knee and humming a song that began, 
It was far in the night, and the bare knees cracked. The mither beneath the mules heard that. Uh, so that's a, that's a footnote there, because we don't know what the hell that means. Uh, and I'll tell you, Baronies grat, children, okay, children wept is what Baronies grat means. Mithers are mothers. Mules are mounds of earth over graves. So let's see what it says. So it was far in the night, and the babies cried, the mothers beneath the ground. So the dead mothers heard the babies crying is... <laughs> This is miserable. <laughs> this is just a miserable, miserable tale. That's what you're choosing to sing to the Baron. My God. So she, you know, began singing. And when Miss Kathy, who had listened to the hubbub from her room, put her head in and whispered, Are you alone, Nellie? Yes, Miss, I replied. She entered and approached the hearth. I, supposing she was going to say something, looked up. The expression of her face seemed disturbed and anxious. Her lips were half asunder, as if she meant to speak, and she drew a breath, but it escaped in a sigh instead of a sentence. I resumed my song, not having forgotten her recent behavior. "'Where's Heathcliff?' she said, interrupting me. "'About his work in the stable,' was my answer. He did not contradict me. Perhaps he had fallen into a dose." Oh, because he's right on the other side there. So, and a doze, I guess, but it's spelled D-O-S-E instead of D-O-Z-E. An, an alternate American spelling for this great American novel. There followed another long pause, during which I perceived a drop or two trickle from Catherine's cheek to the flags. Is she sorry for her shameful conduct? I asked myself. That will be a novelty. But she may come to the point as she will. I shan't help her. No, she felt small trouble regarding any subject, save her own concerns. Oh, dear, she cried at last. I'm very unhappy. A pity, observed I. You're hard to please. So many friends and so few cares, and can't make yourself content. Nellie, will you please keep a secret for me? She pursued kneeling down by me and lifting her winsome eyes to my face with that sort of look which turns off bad temper, even when one has all the right in the world to indulge it. Is it worth keeping? I inquired, less sulkily. Yes, and it worries me, and I must let it out. I want to know what I should do. Today, Edgar Linton has asked me to marry him, and I've given him an answer. Now, before I tell you whether it was a consent or denial— "'You tell me which it ought to have been.' "'Really, Miss Catherine, how can I know?' I replied. "'To be sure, considering the exhibition you performed in his presence this afternoon, "'I might say it would be wise to refuse him. "'Since he asked you after that, he must be either hopelessly stupid or a venturesome fool.' <laughs> uh. If you talk so, I won't tell you any more, she returned, peevishly, rising to her feet. I accepted him, Nellie. Be quick and say whether I was wrong. You accepted him. Then what good is it discussing the matter? You've pledged your word and cannot retract. But say whether I should have done so, do, she exclaimed in an irritated tone, chafing her hands together and frowning. There are many things to be considered before that question can be answered properly, I said, sententiously. 
first and foremost. Do you love Mr. Edgar? Now, what, hold on. Let's, I don't know what sententiously means, and I'll be honest, I doubt Mrs. Dean does either. Sententiously. What the hell does that mean? I'm cranking up the old research machine. Given to or abounding in aphoristic expression. Okay. I don't know what aphoristic expression means. Given to or abounding in excessive moralizing, terse, aphoristic, or moralist in expression, pithy, or epigrammatic. So, I lost my place. Oh, I see. So there are many things to be considered before that question can be answered properly. I said sententiously, meaning, I guess, sort of aphoristically, as if I'm really saying something here, but... She's not. I mean, that's just a common sentiment, isn't it, that you would say that? I mean, you got to think about things before you answer it. You got to think. You got to think things through before you, before you give an answer. That, then that's just common sense. I don't know why that's sententious. First and foremost, do you love Mister Edgar? Well, who can help it? Of course I do. She answered. Then I put her through the following catechism. For a girl of twenty-two, it was not injudicious. Why do you love him, Miss Kathy? Well, nonsense, I do. That's sufficient. She's 22. I thought she was like 15. I'm so confused. Golly. All right, but okay, so she's 22. Why do you love him, Miss Kathy? Nonsense, I do. That's sufficient. By no means, you must say why. Well, because he is handsome and pleasant to be with. Bad was my commentary. (laughs) And because he's young and cheerful. Bad still. And because he loves me indifferent coming there. And he will be rich, and I shall like to be the greatest woman of the neighborhood, and I shall be proud of having such a husband, worst of all. And now say how you love him. As everybody loves. You're silly, Nellie. Not at all. Answer. I love the ground under his feet, and the air over his head, and everything he touches, and every word he says. I love all his looks, and all his actions, and him entirely and all together. There now. And why? Now you're making a jest of it. It is exceedingly ill-natured. It's no jest to me, said the young lady, scowling and turning her face to the fire. I'm very far from jesting. Miss Catherine, I replied, you love at Mr. Edgar because he is handsome and young and cheerful and rich and loves you. The last, however, goes for nothing. You would love him without that, probably, and with it you wouldn't, unless he possessed the four former attractions. No, to be sure not, I should only pity him, hate him, perhaps, if he were ugly and a clown. But there are several other handsome, rich young men in the world, handsomer, possibly, and richer than he is. What should hinder you from loving them? If there be any, they are out of my way. I've seen none like Edgar. You may see some, and he won't always be handsome and young and may not always be rich. He is now, and I have only to do with the present. I wish you would speak rationally. Well, that settles it. If you have only to do with the present, marry Mr. Linton. I don't want your permission for that. I shall marry him, and yet you have not told me whether I'm right. Perfectly right. If people be right to marry only for the present. And now, let us hear what you are unhappy about. Your brother will be pleased. The old lady and gentleman will not object, I think. You will escape from a disorderly, comfortless home into a wealthy, respectable one, and you love Edgar, and Edgar loves you. All seems smooth and easy. Where is the obstacle? 
here and here, replied Catherine, striking one hand on her forehead and the other on her breast. In whichever place the soul lives, in my soul and in my heart, I'm convinced I'm wrong. Well, that's very strange. I cannot make it out. It's my secret, but if you will not mock at me, I'll explain it. I can't do it distinctly, but I'll give you a feeling of how I feel. So, we're getting a little bit to something here. I mean, the first part of this conversation was, I think, very funny, you know? She's, she's saying, well, how do you know you love him? And she's, and, she, and she's giving all the attributes. He's rich, and he's handsome, and he loves me, and, and I love everything about him, and blah, 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 blah. And, and Mrs. Dean is saying, nope, 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 doesn't sound right. Nope, can't, can't, uh, I don't buy that, and this is all nonsense. And, and, uh, and the only thing that rings true, I suppose, is she says, well, he's very rich, and I want to be rich, and I want to I be proud of my husband, and I want to be the greatest gal in the hood, and all that. That kind of rings true for a young lady, you know, and of a somewhat superficial nature. But then, but then we get to the meat of it, because she admits that she doesn't feel it in her head or in her heart, despite her protestations to the contrary, which is why Mrs. Dean says, that's very strange, I cannot make it out, but I'll give you a feeling of how I feel. She seated herself by me again. Her countenance grew sadder and graver, and her clasped hands trembled. Nellie, do you never dream queer dreams, she said, suddenly, after some minutes' reflection. Oh, if she doesn't break into song right now, what are we even doing? I mean, if ever there was uh, time to start a piano vamp for a ballad, it is with that question. Do you never dream queer dreams do 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 sometimes i lay awake at night my eyes refuse to close and before i know it i find myself verbose the brain spinning idols confusing pastiche Queer dreams run. Um, 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 uh, something that rhymes with pastiche, etc. Don't you ever dream queer dreams? Yes, now and then, I answered. And so do I. I've dreamt in my life dreams that have stayed with me ever after and changed my ideas. They've gone through and through me like wine through water and altered the color of my mind, and this is one. I'm going to tell it, but take care not to smile at any part of it. Oh, don't, Miss Catherine, I cried. We're dismal enough without conjuring up ghosts and visions to perplex us. Come, come, be merry and like yourself. Look at little Hareton. He's dreaming nothing dreary. How sweetly he smiles in his sleep. Yes, and how sweetly his father curses in his solitude. You remember him, I dare say, when he was just such another as that chubby thing, nearly as young and innocent. However, Nellie, I shall oblige you to listen. It's not long, and I've no power to be merry tonight. I won't hear it. I won't hear it, I repeated hastily. I was superstitious about dreams then, and am still, and Catherine had an unusual gloom in her aspect, 
that made me dread something from which I might shape a prophecy and foresee a fearful catastrophe. Well, now, is she just misremembering? Because we know that Catherine dies. Did she really feel that way when Catherine said, I want to tell you my dream? Possibly. Possibly so. We don't know. She was vexed, but she did not proceed. Apparently taking up another subject, she recommenced in a short time. If I were in heaven, Nellie, I should be extremely miserable. Because you're not fit to go there, I answered. All sinners would be miserable in heaven. But it is not for that. I dreamt once that I was there. I tell you I won't hearken to your dreams, Miss Catherine. I'll go to bed. I interrupted again. She laughed and held me down, for I made a motion to leave my chair. This is nothing, cried she. I was only going to say that heaven did not seem to be my home, and I broke my heart with weeping to come back to earth, and the angels were so angry that they flung me out into the middle of the heath on the top of Wuthering Heights, where I woke sobbing for joy. That will do to explain my secret as well as the other. I've no more business to marry Edgar Linton than I have to be in heaven. And if the wicked man in there had not brought Heathcliff so low, I shouldn't have thought of it. It would degrade me to marry Heathcliff now, so he shall never know how I love him. And that not because he's handsome, Nellie, but because he's more myself than I am. Whatever our souls are made of, his and mine are the same, and Linton's is as different as a moonbeam from lightning or frost from fire. Ere this speech ended, I became sensible of Heathcliff's presence. Having noticed a slight movement, I turned my head and saw him rise from the bench and steal out noiselessly. He had listened till he heard Catherine say it would degrade her to marry him, and then he stayed to hear no farther. Well, I think we can stop there with a little piece of beautiful writing from our dear Emily Bronte. I love him, not because he's handsome, as she loves Edgar, but because he's more myself than I am. Whatever our souls are made of, his and mine are the same. And Linton's is as different as a moonbeam from lightning or frost from fire. Elemental, yes, but made of different stuff. So, we've had the high comic and the low tragic and everything in between here in this little portion of this chapter, chapter 9. And, uh, you know, that, that little dialogue between Mrs. Dean and Catherine about why do you love him? I mean, it felt sort of Shakespearean, didn't it? Like a little bit of much ado about nothing or something like that, one of the comedies. And then we get to here, and it starts to feel a little bit more like Romeo and Juliet. And I don't say that lightly. I'm not just singing empty praise onto this. I mean, this is just good stuff, just good, hearty American fare, you know, just good American beef stew being served up to us on a plate of crusty bread. I, I love it. Delicious. Mm-mm. Nobody writes like the Americans. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Good old American writing. So we'll leave it there. Starting to feel the heart stir just a little bit for for Catherine. We understand maybe a little bit more of her frustration and where her rage comes from. She understands that she's caught somewhere between Hareton sleeping 
dreamlessly, and her brother, Hindley, cussing his life in his sleep. And she is somewhere in between, and she's at a crossroads. Which destiny will she choose for herself? She knows what she ought to do, but she does not know if she can do it. Can she overcome the history of the place and the history of degradation to follow her true heart's course, or will she do as we suspect, or as we know, and do the expected thing and marry Edgar Linton and further embitter Heathcliff and all the rest of it? Well, we'll just have to wait and see exactly how this all unfolds, but I feel like right here, right here, right here in this moment, we may have hit an important thematic plot point in the book, you know? No longer is it Seinfeldian. Now we have a real moral dilemma. Now we have the stuff of great romance. What is it better to do to follow your heart and to shake off the expectations of society? Or is it better to comport oneself to the expectations, societal mores, and live a quiet, unblemished life. As readers, we all know what we want her to do, but, you know, if you're in a similar situation, would you do the same? Most of us, I dare say, would not. Most of us would not follow our hearts in that same way. Hard to say, but something to wrestle with. Questions for the ages. Let us conclude... We will pick it up uh, again on another stentorious episode of Obscure. But until then, I wish you adieu. This season of Obscure is produced by me, Michael Ian Black, and Robin Lynn. Our theme music is by Craig Wedron. We rely on you, the listeners, for support, so please go to patreon.com slash Black, and you will get early access to ad-free episodes and more content from me. That's patreon.com slash Black. See you next time. <laughs>